The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Now, I'll be talking shortly to a man who reckons his piece of equipment, his DNA equipment, could help to progress the investigation into the murder of Sophie Toscan Duplantier. I'll speak with uh, Jared Bradley in a while, but there's a piece in the Irish Independent this morning that's interesting. Um, Mr. Bailey died Sunday afternoon. He collapsed in Bantry. A massive cardiac arrest. He, he was pronounced dead at the scene, we now seem to know. He was then cremated on Tuesday, which really took people by surprise because we thought it would be longer before he would be um, buried or cremated or whatever was going to happen to him, but it happened very quietly, very privately. On Tuesday he was cremated and his his um, ashes will be sent to his sister. I didn't know he had a sister, but Ralph Regal is writing in the Irish Independent today, Southern Correspondent, that uh, Mr. Bailey, he hadn't been Ralph when he passed away. He was He was broke. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, Peter. It's very sad. I think it's very sad to see any human being um, in at that particular um, state and condition. And uh, there was there was several of us actually. You, you'd know a lot of the lads, Barry from the Irish Times and Olivia, the freelance, and Anne Mooney from the the Irish Sun, Paul mm-hmm. Byrne. We were all down in um, Clonakilty District Court last summer, <clears throat> and of course, Ian Bailey was convicted. I think it was two years ago now of uh, drug driving. And there's quite a lengthy um, appeal to that conviction winding its way through the uh, the, the, the Circuit um, Court of Appeals. And we happened to be in Clonakilty District Court for it. And uh, Ian was there. And I have to say, it was actually shocking um, to see the condition that he was in. Um, for, I, I met him back in 97 when he had that, that shades of a kind of a Shakespearean lead actor, raven black hair, tall, very distinguished looking man, very handsome man. And he was just really in a shocking condition. I mean, he was stooped. He was gaunt. Um, I thought he had a very grey pallor um, on his face. His clothing had clearly seen better days. He was actually barefoot wearing a pair of Moses sandals. And despite the fact that it was kind of quite a wet and miserable day. And, I mean, one of the lads turned to me and said that really they, they, they didn't think he was very well and they didn't think that the prognosis was very good going forward. And that was ever before he had suffered those heart attacks at the tail end of last year. But you could kind of see from his physical appearance um, that he really didn't have a whole pile um, since the breakdown of the relationship with Jules Thomas. Of course, he was involved in a 30-year relationship with Jules Thomas. Mm. And he lived at her property at the prairie outside Liscaha. And he had to move out of the house. The relationship broke up, I think it was in March 2021. And I think it was a couple of weeks afterwards that he moved out. And he's been bouncing around rented accommodation since then. And I think lifestyle factors over that same period didn't do him any favours. But essentially what happened at the weekend was when he collapsed and died. Um, His entire estate basically is comprised of clothing, um, some items of wood turning, and uh, massive amounts of files comprising both legal documents and newspaper clippings, magazine clippings, and correspondence to do with the Sophie Toscan de Plantier case mm. and the various actions that he has fought as part of his bid to protest his innocence um, over the past 27 years. He lived in a very modest little flat in Bantry. He did, he did, he did. Again, another element, I suppose, that you'd say has to, the only word you can really use for it, it's quite sad, is that he had spent 
really the last 30 years in the greater Skull Skibbereen area and he wanted to stay there um, but n- no one would rent once people found out that he was the tenant uh, there was no property available for him so he ended up staying for a while in the Glengariff area and then he had to leave that property and eventually he got a property in Bantry and he would he was a familiar figure in Bantry he would kind of wander around Bantry he would go to various markets he would call into bookshops and libraries and stuff uh, farmers markets were really his main social outlet in the last couple of years. That was also his only other source of income beyond um, his state pension. Mm. Uh, He would sell wood turnings. He would sell um, some of his poetry books. Uh, People would often go and ask for photographs with him and he'd give a photograph so long as someone would actually, you know, buy one of his poetry books, which he would then sign. He wrote two books. Uh, One is called The West Cork Way and the other is called The John Wayne State of Mind. But even in, in towards the latter end of the year, his health was such that he really wasn't even able to go to mm-hmm. um, any of the farmer's markets. Yeah. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE or Summit 4xE. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. He left no will. Uh, people were thinking now that he would, now that he'd passed away, somebody would find an envelope with a letter in it. Um, you know, saying, well, if he didn't do it, who did, or anything like that, you know? But nothing yeah. was found. No, not not as yet anyway, PJ, and certainly the indications we have is that there's no formal will uh, made out. Um, it was a story that Paul Byrne was doing a couple of days ago, that Paul Byrne did an interview with uh, Frank Bottomer, who was Mr. Bailey's longtime solicitor, and he had said, look, you know, what, he, he knew he wasn't well, and he, they had talked about various things to prepare for the future, but events overtook them, so our, um, Mr. Bottomer wouldn't con- confirm or deny that there was a will, but our understanding is that there isn't. And similarly, a lot of people had thought that there might have been some type of documentation left with the instruction that it was to be opened in the event of Mr. Bailey's death, but no such document um, exists, or certainly none, none has been found or none has been yeah. flagged in advance at this stage. There's a significant amount of correspondence I mean, people who would have watched the various um, documentaries. Of course, you had Jim Sheridan's um, Murder at the Cottage, which was done for Sky TV, and then you had a Netflix documentary. And anybody who would have watched those would have seen the meticulous care that Mr. Bailey took over the years to document and keep Mm. records of the various things that he had been involved in as part of this case. And there was various images in those documentaries of boxes and boxes 
of correspondence, letters, photographs, uh, things to do with his various court actions as well. Of course, remember that Ian Bailey has had a number of very high-profile court actions. In uh, 2003, you covered this with us, PJ, the, 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 the libel actions before the Cork Circuit Civil Court, where Ian Bailey sued eight Irish and British newspapers. That opened in December 2003, and we had the verdict then, uh, the, the, the costs uh, were settled in January 2004. Mm-hmm. Then in 2014, Ian Bailey took a wrongful arrest action to the High Court uh, against the state. That ran really until the end of 2015. He also uh, lodged an objection or a complaint with the Garda Ombudsman Commission over the way he was treated by the Gardaí in West Cork as part of their investigation into the death of Sophie Toscan de Plantier on December the 23rd, 1996. And again, it's worth pointing out, Ian Bailey was arrested twice by the Gardaí he was arrested in February of 1997 and he was arrested in January of 1998. And on both occasions, he was released without charge. Yeah. Tom is asking those notes and letters and stack of stuff that was, one assumes that they'll be examined and read through by cold case unit or whomever. Um, my understanding, PJ, and I could stand to be corrected on this, but I think if the Gardaí want to have access to them, they may need a warrant. And certainly there's been no indication as yet that a warrant has been sought. So again, I think that's going to be an issue between Mr. Bailey's next of kin. Now, we understand that his next of kin is his sister, Kay Reynolds, who is based in the UK. And uh, the only time that she came to to public notice here in Ireland before was that she gave evidence on behalf of her brother uh, during the High Court action between 2014 and 2015. Mm -hmm. And her evidence particularly revolved around the fact that because... The French had tried on three separate, or sorry, three separate occasions to have Mr. Bailey extradited, and the first of those European arrest warrants was issued in 2010. And Mr. Bailey always maintained that because of his fear of arrest, he never left Ireland. So he was afraid that if he went back to his native UK, of course, he was born in Manchester and brought up in Gloucester, that if he travelled to the UK, he would put himself at risk of arrest yeah. or detention under the terms of that European arrest warrant. So on that basis, when his mother was dying, he never went back to see her before her death or to attend her funeral. And that was the evidence that Kay Reynolds gave on his behalf back in 2014, 2015. There were some who said, Ralph, that over the last few years since his relationship with Jules broke down and he was living pretty much destitute in West Cork, there were those who said that he could have gone home to the UK, but that he was afraid... He'd be arrested if he if he tried. Were you surprised, Ralph? Lastly, were you surprised at how quickly he was cremated and and all that was done? Yes, I was, PJ. I mean, I can understand why. And um, I think, from the family's point of view, I think there was a genuine fear that if they had any type of private or even semi-public ceremony for him here or funeral, that that it would be just there'd be an enormous media attention on it. And, you know, I think I think they wanted whatever was going to happen to happen outside the limelight. I think it was the speed of it that really took me by surprise that it was done within 48 hours. So none of us knew. None of us. No, and, and that was deliberate. And it was, it was uh, for instance, there was a, an undertaker that was from outside West Cork brought the, bo- the body to the crematorium. Um, there was no comment made until several hours after the event when in a very brief statement, Mr. Butterworth confirmed that he had been... Um, empowered or allowed, instructed by the next of kin to confirm that Mr. Bailey had been cremated and that his ashes would be returned to his family. Um, I think as an observation, and it was something actually that Anne Mooney, the Irish son, had, had noted in a piece 
that she filed yesterday, it, it, it was in many ways quite an ironic thing that Ian Bailey, who, who over his life had been very much obsessed by the media, by the limelight. On the one hand, he was a man of incredible contradictions. He said that media attention had destroyed his life in Ireland. But yet at the same time, he was a man that really courted publicity. He would always take phone calls from reporters. Sorry. There were times when I got phone calls from him asking me, did I want comments from him about <laughs> about developments in the case? Yeah, but, one or two texts that, like that over the years as well myself. Yeah, he was never afraid to reach Exactly, you'd be familiar with the PJ. And I think Anne's comment was that for a man who had spent his life posing for photographs, giving commentary, giving quotes, being in the limelight, it was a total contrast that the only people that were present for the cremation were the crematorium staff and the undertakers. Very lastly and very briefly, Ralph, I'll ask you this one. And you, of course, have written a book on this and have covered it from day one. Now that he has passed to his maker, will we ever know, do you think, will we ever really know what happened on that night in December 1996? Uh, definitively, I don't think so, PJ. No, no, I don't. I think we, we may get um, a few more indicators. Um, I mean, certainly the, the death of Ian Bailey does not end things. I mean, the Garda murder investigation is ongoing. The Garda cold case review is ongoing. The cold case review team will make recommendations to the Garda murder team. And I think the indications are that the file will be submitted, a revised file, an updated file, will be submitted to the Director of Public Prosecutions. But whether we get any type of instruction or direction that the DPP would have contemplated um, action against a particular individual, I'm not sure that it's ever going to go that far. And certainly from the French family's point of view, and I think really they're the ones whose words we have to attach greatest weight to, is the very last thing that they wanted was Ian Bailey to pass away. They wanted him um, to stay alive, to stay healthy, and to be alive for when the cold case review would end in the hope that there might be some judicial action here in Ireland. But they're, they're very... I think upset with the Irish state that um, while just they see that justice was done for Sophie in Paris, and a lot of people would take issue with that over various aspects of the Paris prosecution, but in their eyes, justice was done for Sophie in France, but justice was never done for Sophie here in Ireland. Okay, Ralph, leave it there. Thank you, as always. Ralph Regal, a Southern correspondent with the Irish Independent, indeed wrote a book on that uh, case. I'll get the title of it. I have to dig it out of my memory, but uh, it's a super... Super read. Thank you, Ralph. Corks 96 FM. <laughs> Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris, and Mop Master dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.